again, we're going back to that idea around segmentation. Lawyers are another piece of that segmentation in our process where it's like they've got mm -hmm. their own process as well. Who's tying all that together from the client experience? Because you know, you've done your own mortgages and you know, we're in the business, but for someone who's not, there are these constant points of fear as you're sitting in the process and your closing date is nearing where you're like looking for someone to hold your hand and say, what do I need to do next? What do I need to do next? So we want to make sure that we have somebody at every single spot really getting in there to explain to the client, here's what you can expect next. And I really envision it like a haunted house where, you know, if it's dark and you're moving your way through a haunted house and you can't see what's in front of you and things pop out and surprise you, well, then it's scary. Right. But if you walk through a haunted house and it's light, all of a sudden- It kind of takes away all of the, like, you're like, oh, this is kind of lame. Right, okay, makes exactly. sense. Exactly. Yeah. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. It's in the show at Beckham Merdita. Beckham is a VP at Rocket Mortgage and very interesting conversation. So if you don't know, Rocket Mortgage came into Canada sort of as Edison Financial. Fantastic name. Wish I had owned that name, but I don't. In any case, they gave it a try to see because the American market is different than the Canadian market, test to see how it would go. It obviously is going really well because they've now rebranded to Rocket. So they were here, we just didn't know it. And so we talk about their loan process. So like how many people are in the process, what happens? We talk a little bit about strategic partnerships and we just talk about open banking. Just a fantastic conversation actually. I definitely have him back on again, very smart guy and really enjoyed my conversation with him. Before we jump into this episode, I wanna give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. What's up, Finmo? Thank you guys for building such an amazing app. It is so easy to use. Our clients love it, our brokers love it. And you know, one of the cool things is as the client is filling out the application, it's automatically knowing what documents to request, sends them a request, it's called Smart Docs. It's connected to Lender Spotlight. So as you're searching for the guidelines, you know, as you get that app in there, you can go search all the rates and guidelines. It's fantastic. And then finally, when you go to hit submit, it pulls all the key data from the application into the notes so that it makes it easy for you to hit submit. It makes you go faster through the whole loan process. Check them out at lendesk.com slash binmo. Also, in this episode, I talked to Tom Hall from Blue Mortgage on creating moments of wow. All right. Hey, Broker Nation, Scott Packford here. Today I have Bekem Erdita. He is Vice President at Rocket Mortgage in Canada and excited to chat with you, Bekem, about some of the things that you guys are noticing. You you guys were kind of here under the cover for a little bit and now you're fully here and you have a different business model than some other brokers. And I think it's going to be an interesting conversation. So welcome to the conversation. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Scott. It's good to be on with you again. So tell me a little bit about like the transition from Edison to Rocket. Was that always part of the plan? Tell me about that. So people can kind of maybe get a background if they don't know you know, who you are, where you guys came from, maybe start there. And then we'll get into some other interesting stuff. Yeah, that's actually a prideful story for me in that when we started this business, we started with some funding from Rocket Mortgage in the US, but the name Rocket Mortgage and everything that comes with it was never really guaranteed from the early days. The original goal was go out, you know, build a great mortgage company. And ultimately, if you could prove that you could scale, that you can deliver on a certain level of client service, then you could earn the name Rocket Mortgage. And our rebrand back in August was really a testament to that. We started with a very small group of folks and we grew our team, uh, or really through two and a half years, pandemic was somewhere in there as well. We launched March of 2020. So just as a pandemic was hitting, we grew through that. It turned out to be a fortuitous time in the mortgage industry. And when you look at the housing numbers and we capitalized on that decently well. And 
we really tried to deliver on client service. And as a result, then we, uh, you know, got in front of our board and said, Hey, we think we're ready to be rocket mortgage Canada. And ultimately they granted us that right. So here we are today as rocket mortgage. So basically they were like, Hey, go run this experiment. If it doesn't work, we were never here. <laughs> and like, nobody, <laughs> nobody would even know. I mean, a few people knew, but nobody knew. And if it did work, then it'd be like, Hey, yes, welcome to the family. So sort of you had to prove your chops because it's a different market, right? As you know, better than most that there's significantly yeah. differences between lead costs. We've talked about this before and just, you know, consumers are slightly different and stuff. So, okay, that's super cool. And so that rebrand happened. So tell me about like, and you're in a, like my business model, I'm more like referral based. You guys are more like a, a lead generation based. And, but I always like to talk to people with different models to understand what is something that you guys are working on right now that you're excited about or given that the market shifted. So I think what we really try to focus on over, you know, the last two and a half years going on three years now, almost actually is just client service first and foremost. And I know that sounds cheesy, but whether or not you're an independent agent who's operating a typical franchise model, you're in a digital model like we are, you've got to be really thoughtful about your entire client journey. And that's something that we really focused on. I think that, you know, as a part of some of the shift to digital that's taken place over the last couple of years, we've benefited from that to be sure. And, you know, how do we take it to the next level? That's what we've really been focused on lately. So, you know, we see the opportunity to become a lender as a really big play of ours to really control more of that client journey. Because I think what we're seeing in the broker space today is a lot of segmentation in that you know, brokers are sort of doing what's best for brokers. You know, you have submission platforms like Finmo Velocity and such, they're kind of building what's best for them. They're trying to put their ear to the ground to build what brokers are asking for. But then on the other side of that, you have the lenders and lenders are ultimately building what's really best for lenders so that they can run a more efficient operation. And what I don't think we've yet to nail in Canada today is just that full end-to-end client experience, visibility throughout the entire process, You know, a single platform to track your status of your application, single platform to upload all of your documents. I think you know, because we're partnered with Finmo, much like you are and a lot of other brokers who listen to this podcast, really working with Finmo closely and trying to figure out what that entire experience should look like and giving a lot of feedback to Finmo on what we're hearing from clients so that we can get that information back over to them and they can set up their product roadmap with one that not only suits brokers, but suits clients as well. Right. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And so everybody talks about client journey. And so how is the client journey? Because I know what I do as a, you know, from a mortgage broker would maybe have an assistant, but so how does it look from your guys' perspective customer reaches out to you through one of your lead channels, which I'll come back to that in a bit, but then walk me through kind of what that kind of looks like currently, just like, you know, high level. I'm just interested in how you guys define it or look at it. Sure. Yeah. So we have a CRM much like anybody else would. I think the difference between maybe a more digital front brokerage is that speed is super, super key to what we do. So, you know, we need that new client opportunity or lead, if you will, to hit our CRM as fast as possible. We need our dialer to call that client as fast as possible. We need to identify very quickly whether that client prefers to interact over text, chat, or phone, the way in which they want to be communicated to and when they want to be communicated to. So that's all a big part of our CRM and dialer play. Right from the beginning, they're working with one of our mortgage agents. So we're getting that client on the phone. We're assessing needs. We run our call scripts. We work them through our process up front. We ultimately utilize Finmo and Spotlight to identify solutions, present an opportunity to the client. And then ultimately we'll submit that file from there. We go to lender with it because we're a broker today. We will give back our conditions, our commitment letter. 
We'll call the client. We'll walk them through all that. Let them know what conditions are outstanding. That's all sitting on the agent still. And then we have other people who are a part of our process. So we have a client care specialist who's also involved, who you would you know view as a loan processor of sorts, who also assists with client communication. We have a doc specialist, which is also somebody who is going to be reviewing all of the documents. We try to keep our mortgage agents as much out of the document process and tasks. Well, mortgage brokers love documents. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is I, the bane of our existence. Like, oh my gosh, I was talking to me the other day and they're like, I had for six months bank statements. I got the same bank statement six times. You know, like that kind of 100%. stuff happens, right? You know? And that's why I get excited. One thing that I love about your Facebook group and a lot more collaboration in the community and even some of the regulators are starting to ask more questions. I was in Vancouver a couple of weeks back for the conference. A lot of folks from the industry were there and you know, one of the big topics was around open banking and how we can make the document process easier. And it's probably partly because of what you're saying, Scott, you know, it's cumbersome, it's painful to do all this document processing, but at the same time, the client experience around it sucks, you know, yeah. just being honest. There, like, I don't think the regulator cares about that, though. you're never going to convince them that client experience, they're just like, cover my ass. But so, but if you can use the fraud angle, that's your fraud best. compliance. And the interesting compliance. part is, it's more protecting of the client's information in many ways, right? It's one-to-one yeah. -one between the person who's holding that information and the mortgage broker or lender who's obtaining that information. It's less convoluted, less passing of documents back and forth. You know, a lot of people today still print that stuff out on paper and take it down to an office, or maybe they send it over email. Not the most secure forms of transforming information from one party to another. And when you look at these concepts around open banking, much of it which exists in the US, it just makes sense. Mm -hmm. And whether or not the regulators are as concerned about client experience, you know, we are, but when you look at the security and ease, it really is better for lenders, it's better for brokers, it's better for the client's security, it's better for the regulators, it's better for everyone. So that's something we're really focused on as well when we look forward. These things exist, these tools exist. Many people have tried to make changes in the industry. The unfortunate part is I think some of those things will take time, but you know, I was saying control the controllables. And I think we're gonna just try to control the controllables from our part and you know, try to make that process of document collection easier on clients so that it's not as painful as it is right now. Right, okay, so just so I'm clear, a lead comes in, you have a dialer that contacts them first, not necessarily the agent who's the kind of advisor. How quickly are you trying to get back to those people? Do you have like targets? So, yeah, when I use the term dialer, I'm actually just referring to the piece of tech. Our agent is the one making the phone call up front. Oh, okay. um, yeah, we actually make first dial to around 95% of our clients in less than four minutes. So it's very fast. You know, you're filling out that information, you hit submit as a client on some lead form somewhere. You know, we have our own lead forms. We have lead by providers that we work with. We have a lot of partnerships as well. You know, we're not just lead by. We're partnered with some national brands who refer their mortgage clients over to us. And speed is really key there. Just thinking about the way people conduct their lives today. You're busy. I'm busy. Everyone kind of lives this life yeah. of, you know, cell phone, email, work. Like It's just nonstop. So when people are going about saying like, hey, I want to talk to someone, getting to them as fast as possible, we find to be a real differentiator in terms of our conversion ratio. So the agent's picking the ball up from there. They're getting the client to the front end of the process. The doc specialist is picking up to do a lot of those sort of processing tasks around it. And then- So what's the difference between the client care? So there's the agent, there's the client care specialist, I think you said, and then there's the mm -hmm. doc specialist. What are the differences in those roles? So client care specialist is somebody that's handling client communication throughout the processing of the mortgage. That's somebody that is basically going to act as a loan officer assistant, if you will, and that they are going to talk to the client. A lot of times, you know, we get a bank statement. 
it's missing six pages and the client's like blacked out the last four numbers on the bank statement. Like yeah. they're going to be the one to pick up the phone and say, Hey, like, you know, you sent this over, we need to get this corrected. Here's exactly what I need. As a matter of fact, while I have you on the phone right now, can you go ahead and pull up your bank account online? Let me walk you through exactly what I need. Let me show you how to turn it into a PDF. Let me show you how to upload it into our system. They're handling those tasks. And then I'm starting to hear it pop up more on your podcast. I've been listening a lot lately, this idea around a closing specialist. And that's something that we've been doing since day one is somebody right. who's handling the client communication. So they're talking to client, lawyer, and our side, which is the mortgage agent to make sure that- So that's client care is doing up. all of that for you in your case. Your client care is doing client, lawyer, that's and lender. That's the closing specialist. That's a closing specialist. Yeah, so okay. I'll walk it backwards. So it's okay. agent. I'm writing it down as you say. Yeah. So agent. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Next. So it's agent. Yeah. Then there's actually a loan analyst, which many call an underwriter, somebody who's going to review it. Once they yep. give the green light on it, they're going to go ahead and submit to lender. From the time yep. it's submitted to lender, the agent's going to make the call to the client to walk them through their commitment. Once the commitment has been walked through, the client care specialist is then handling all further communication from that point forward, while the document specialist is handling all the document reviewing. From that point, but they actually don't talk to the client. They just sit in a correct. bunker underground and review documents all day. No, just kidding. That's correct. So for the folks okay, on that this makes call, sense. You, you, you not do, excited, I always but... think of the mortgage. Sorry to interrupt. I think of the mortgage process as like an assembly line, a factory. And exactly. what you guys have done is you just you've broken down specialized roles so that there's increased efficiencies as well as. I was talking exactly. to somebody recently, a smart guy in the mortgage industry, and he was like, "That doc specialist thing doesn't really work," and I'm like. Or closing specialists, I don't think it's going to work. And I'm like, I think you're wrong. And no offense to this person, if they ever listen to this, I don't think they will. But if they did, you haven't tried to chase down documents on a client recently. Because if you have, you'd realize it's just a nightmare, right? Yeah. Like it's so much extra work. So I think the idea of a closing specialist is something that is a role that's needed until yeah, technology, until technology might be able to replace or you know enhance that. I could see a place where AI can read documents and stuff and then anything that doesn't get past gets looked at by a person, but we're not, maybe we're there. I'm, maybe you guys are there, but I don't know. Wherever that technology exists, I want it. But <laughs> you know, um, if you find it, let me know. Yeah. Yeah. Call you up. Hey man, I got a plan for you. It's a AI assisted closing specialist, but okay. So then the doc specialist deals with the docs. And then what was the other one? Sorry. Agent loan assistant, analyst, client care specialist, doc specialist, who else is in there? And then once we hit broker complete, then it actually triggers the closing specialist to start their portion, which is to call the client and say, you know, you're going to be hearing from the lawyer that was selected to close your file. They're going to start with the prep work. They've got a whole checklist that they work off of. of here's everything that the lawyer is going to ask you for. Here's everything to prepare yourself for. Here's how the signing is going to work. And they're really trying to remove a lot of the uncertainty around what takes place. Because again, we're going back to that idea around segmentation. Lawyers are another piece of that segmentation in our process where it's like they've got mm -hmm. their own process as well. Who's tying all that together from the client experience? Because you know, you've done your own mortgages and you know, we're in the business, but for someone who's not, there are these constant points of fear as you're sitting in the process and your closing date is nearing where you're like looking for someone to hold your hand and say, what do I need to do next? What do I need to do next? So we wanna make sure that we have somebody at every single spot really getting in there to explain to the client, here's what you can expect next. And I really envision it like a haunted house where you know, if it's dark and you're moving your way through a haunted house and you can't see what's in front of you and things pop out and surprise you, well, then it's scary. Right. But if you walk through a haunted house and it's light, all of a sudden- It kind of takes away all of the, like, you're like, oh, this is kind of lame. 
Right. Okay. Makes exactly. Sense. Yeah. All right. So I want to switch gears from the client journey, which now that thank you for that. What have you noticed difference in lead quantity, quality? What have you seen? Again, you're getting primarily, correct me if I'm wrong, bot leads, strategic partnerships. Maybe there's some other lead sources I'm unaware of. And so what have you noticed recently since the changes in rates and stuff? Well, leads are more expensive, first and foremost. And I know you talked to some other folks who are in the digital space like us as well. And the cost of leads has risen over the last several years. There are a lot more competitors in this space. And I think there's a lot of people just kind of looking at the change of consumer behavior and trying to figure out how they could fill that need for clients. So with that, the cost of search gets more expensive. The cost of social media gets more expensive. You know, for example, you know, Apple's recently made a bunch of changes to their privacy laws and consumer protection. Meta has made a bunch of changes in the way in which you can go about targeting clients. Scott, there used to be a day when you can like, I want only, you know, 38 year olds in this city who speak who like this language. Who like double, double Tim Hortons <laughs> coffee. And yeah, yeah. It, I know it was way, it's my wife does Facebook marketing for her business and it's not as good as it was. It's so much harder. Exactly. So now you might have to broadcast your message to a hundred thousand people to reach the thousand people that you were hoping to reach. You used to basically be able to like whittle down that list to those exact thousand people that you wanted to reach. And in doing so, it makes it more expensive for advertisers. So one thing that we've seen as a result of those changes is that lead costs have risen over the last several years. And then I really think that there's a lot of opportunity in the partnership space. And that's something that we're really focused on right now is because you have you know, financial advisors. I just listened to Jim's most recent episode, Jim Terlucas's episode yeah. with you a couple of days ago. And you know, I know he's made a big play in the financial space. And the reality is financial advisors have the trust of their clients. So do lawyers. A lot of people who are in financial services, you know, life insurance advisors, we work with a lot of parties like that. And what we try to do in those partnerships is share in the client acquisition costs because they face the same challenges that we do. You mm-hmm. know, getting to clients is becoming more expensive and the trends and new consumer protection laws are suggesting that it's not going to get any less expensive in the near future. So I think that's something that we're contending with right now. And when you consider that rates have increased, and then you consider that the market has gotten a bit more challenging and that less people are transacting, you know, a lot of people are reevaluating their business models right now to figure out what makes sense for today and for the future. And it's not the same things that made sense in 2020 and 2021. So let me ask you about something you touched on was you said that, you know, you see you guys having your own lender. True North has their own lender. They just came up with a six month offer, which is again, very timely given this marketplace and the uncertainty. And it's a good product design, I think, based on what's happening. So what sort of advantages do you see in having your own internal lender as part of your business model? I think that product differentiation is certainly one. Getting creative around product is an opportunity for us. The second is the client experience, being able to capture those clients. Thinking about not just the first transaction, but what happens on the second and third transaction. You know, One thing that takes place today for brokers is you know, they pass that client off to a third-party lender, and then they more or less have to fight that lender five years down the line. So they go from like partner on the first transaction to potential foe on the second transaction <laughs> yeah, when they're trying to win that client truth. back. And it's such a weird dynamic in our space. And it's like, we sort of like have to respect each other because we obviously need one another, but then we're sort of challenging each other five years down the line to recapture that client's business. And the lender really starts making their money when they're doing the second and third transaction for that client. Well, in our world, you know, we're not making any more money on a per transaction basis, but client acquisition costs are getting more expensive. The way you could start to make up some of that gap is by making sure that you're following that client through their journey and capturing on them a second and third time. And 
you know, there's a lot that goes into that. So what are your touch points over the five years? Are you looking at the data that suggests when a client actually breaks a mortgage? As we know, clients, you know, give me that five-year fix. I want the five-year fix. Okay, well, there's a 66% chance that you're going to break that mortgage by the 38th month of your term. Well, I'm not going to wait five years to call you if I know that more than half those people are going to go on to break that mortgage. I probably need to connect with you somewhere in year two, just ask you what your vision is for that home in the future. I probably need to hit you again, either by email or by text or you know, a phone call, whatever we figure out. Maybe it's the birthday card that associates with that time of the year for that client. And that's my touch point. So having the lender, knowing where that client is in the journey, figuring out when you can touch them to make sure that you're capturing those subsequent transactions is going to be a big piece of success. And we see the lender as a great way to do that. Right. You know, what's interesting is, is that on the lender side, the enterprise value that you create by having a lender, like a book of business. So you think of DLC group, they're 130 million market cap today. They're one of the big ones, M&M3. I don't know what M3 is at or if they're even publicly traded. I haven't double checked that, but I know that DLC is publicly traded 130 million. First National is 2 billion. And so if DLC is an 800 pound gorilla in terms of market cap, First Nat is like an 8,000 pound gorilla. But we completely miss the fact that we're like, holy crap, that is a massive company, like a massive value, like enterprise value that is created by having the you know recurring revenue of that income stream that you can make money on. So, and then to your other point, I think mortgage brokers, we think we're renting clients and lenders think they're buying them at the end of the day. Here's what happens here I'm renting you a client, Mr. Lender. And the lender's like, thank you, I just bought them. And this is where the, all the tension comes in. I do not know how you solve that completely. I think that's a, you know, I know in Australia, they use a lot of trailer mortgages, but that has not really caught on here. People will always take more money today and not worry about tomorrow. That's a salesperson thing. Like, you know, that seems to be a general consensus. And there's also churn as a strategy, like moving clients from lender to lender every few years. You know, it's not talked about. It's a C word. We don't. Brokers don't talk about it and lenders watch it more now, but a top mortgage broker is looking to do that. They may not say it, but that's what they do. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a trade in economics when you think about it. It's sort of baked into the agreement because if lenders, you know, if you ask them like, what would it take for me to like own this client for the next 10 years, they would say, well, instead of me paying you 120 basis points in comp for doing this deal through us, I'm going to pay you 20 basis points in comp because you just decreased the client's value to me. If you're not giving me that second and third transaction for this client. And I think that's a big piece that, you know, we've got to figure out ultimately, you know, between broker and lender and what this thing looks like going forward for the entire industry is that contract between us. And it's very different in the United States, by the way. I know you're talking to a lot of US brokers nowadays through your podcast as well. And you know, over there, it's taboo. As a broker, if you send a client to a lender, that's the broker's client. And if any lenders breach that ever, then they're on the outs in terms of client and broker relationship. So, oh, okay. Um, so they actually, but the other thing is, is that the terms of the mortgages are longer, like mm-hmm. they have a longer term. So what is the average length that somebody stays in a mortgage? So, cause I think like 15, 20, like, you know, but are people staying to the term or is it usually there's some event in the middle that redoes that mortgage? Yeah. So if you stretch out your time horizon, it's typically around seven years, a client will stay in a 30 year fixed mortgage in the United States. You know, in Canada, we're much lower than that. But obviously, over all these different rate cycles that have taken place, basically like 2009 to 2021, rates went nowhere but down 
for a very long time. And you just refi and get a new mortgage so that you exactly. can- Exactly. No prepayment penalty for breaking the mortgage in the US. So you can just take that 30-year fix that was at five, take it down to four, take it down to three, take it down to two and a half, and you just- Chase the market the all the way down, which is what yes. people were doing, right? Yeah. So you had people refinancing every one to two years through that cycle. And then they'll- They'll sit back a little bit. The people who will refinance are, you know, typically some sort of debt consolidation situations, or maybe they want to take some equity out to buy another property or something like that. But they're going to sit on the lower rate if they don't have a need to take equity out for the most part. Whereas in Canada, you know, we're sort of forcing people's hand by forcing them to renew every, you know, one, three, five years, whatever term you set up for them. You know, often in the back of my head, I think that the company that's going to disrupt the mortgages is not even going to be here. We don't see them. And I'd love to get your thoughts. So you're a smart guy. Is this whole digital wallet, maybe you guys call it open banking, but if there was a way to basically have as a consumer, I have all my data and then I want to go apply somewhere and I could say, oh yeah, sure, you can have this information. And then that may never happen. But even just the idea of a digital wallet, have you heard of a company called Treefort? What they're doing in terms of identification of like, they check your bank statements, they check your identity. Like they do this a huge amount of upfront, like, but I could see that being part of, improving the loan process for the customer because they do this sort of validation and then now they're like good to shop kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, think about it if we had it for every party as well. Think about if, you know, a service like that could exist and like the broker is now compliant. They've done all their, you know, KYC, know your client, right? So like, I'm good. We've basically pulled from this third party service that gives us all the validation on income, banking, ID verification, everything back end, right? And even maybe potentially like verification of employment, if all that, you know, was tied in and it was, you know, really giving the broker the know your client, if it was giving the lender the know your client, if it was giving the lawyer the know your client, how much better would that be for all of us, client included, to, you know, speed up the transaction and make it smoother for people and then also keep us more compliant. These things exist. You know, that's what they do in the US. It's what speeds up the process tremendously. We're not there. I think we'll get there. I think a couple parties, whether or not that's somebody that exists in the space today, Scott, or somebody who's going to enter the space at a later date. Some 20-year-old working in his parents' basement is going to come out of here and we'll be like, who the heck is this guy? The Zuckerberg of mortgages, right? Yeah. uh, The thing is like, it exists. We just All the tech is there. It's just a matter of putting it together and then getting regulatory. Like, I feel like every advance in technology seems to be offset by a increase in regulation. We literally keep increasing technology, but then the regulators are constantly because it's so, moving so quickly they'll probably just be like it's easier to regulate than to try to figure out what the heck is going on and so like even in the u.s i've heard like after you know all of the disclosures and stuff that need to get done after the 2008 2009 and so that created a lot more work in a transaction from a you know yes. you got to disclose this many days you got to do this and so there's a whole bunch of extra like administrative burden that yes. has been created so yeah we got better technology but regulation seems to be slowing down those advantages so yeah. And that's where I think in some of the conversations that take place through, you know, your Facebook group, your podcast and stuff like that, you've got some people who have been in this industry for a very long time and they're skeptical about new entrants into the industry because they've been at this a long time. They've seen people come in and say, hey, we're going to disrupt, we're going to change things. But they are wise enough through age and experience to know that it's not that easy to just say you're going to change the industry because you need a lot of other parties on board to help support that and make that a reality. So that's where you've got to be careful with ego and just jumping into this industry and saying, hey, we're going to change the world because you've sort of got to go at the pace of the regulators, the lenders, you know, thinking back to 
March of 2020, we still had a lot of lenders who didn't even accept e-signatures. And, right. and then we had some who like accepted e-signatures. Some of them don't but, right now. But so not on three documents. Had, yeah. And it I was like, okay, paper. like, why do you accept these ones electronically, but you don't accept these ones electronically? And then COVID happens. And then like 24 hours later, it's like, all right, fine. Just send us everything electronically. It's like, oh, so you did have the ability to accept them, but for some reason we weren't fully there yet. And then lawyers were kind of in this weird spot where they were looking back and saying, am I allowed to accept these electronically? And some just kind of said, all right, fine, let's just start doing virtual closings. Not even sure whether or not it was a real thing. And it sort of pushed things forward a little bit, but I think that that's going to be the open mindset, but ultimately it comes back to what does the consumer want? Are we listening and are we trying to meet those needs? And are we talking to each other? Are we talking to regulators? Are we acting as a community to try to push things forward to make a better system for everybody? Right. Yeah, I totally agree. So I know you guys will have a lender. There's no doubt that you guys will figure out how to do that because of just your connections and stuff. What do you think in terms of like, and maybe this is something you don't even want to answer. You may like, I don't, can't answer. So you can't answer it. You don't want to answer it. You can say pass. It's fine. But like a margin improvement from a you know company perspective, if you're able to internally, because the lenders obviously, yes, there's churn and stuff, but they're obviously making money or they wouldn't be paying brokers and then putting these people on their books. So there's got to be a potential for margin improvement if you do it internally versus externally, right? Yes. I sense? mean, we believe so. And I think what we found actually what most brokers would be a little bit surprised to find out is that it's not as much as you'd think. We sort of operate on slim margins. Lenders operate on slim margins. It's a very competitive space. And ultimately, if you're not competitive, then people just take their business elsewhere. So you've just constantly got to be in market. If you're following pricing right now, you know, you're seeing lenders trying to do it one of two ways. We've seen some rate drops here in the last you know, 72 hours. And some folks are just, you know, they're dropping the rate or they're increasing their comp and, People are coming in and out of market right now and, and brokers are smart. You know, we have these great tools like Spotlight as an example, where it's like, it's basically real time and you're tracking every lender and guess what brokers are doing? Like they're first sorting by rate and then they're saying, okay, if all things are equal on rate, then who do I prefer to work with? And it's typically about speed and relationship and yeah. things like that. So I think you have to have it all in terms mm -hmm. of you know, being competitive in our space, you have to have the service, you have to have the speed, you have to have the relationship, you have to have the pricing. And that makes it a very competitive space. So while I believe that being a lender will certainly give us a little bit more margin to work with, we'll probably use a lot of that additional margin to just speed up the process. You know, we, right. we might even be able to, you know, instead of doing a three-day underwrite, which is more industry standard, what if we reinvested some of that additional margin and we made it so that we're underwriting in six hours on average when everyone else is underwriting in three hours. And that way, when a broker's you know, pricing these things out and they're seeing it and they're saying, well, all things being equal here on price, I'm going to get my commitment letter same day. Okay. Again, if you don't know the answer, don't can't answer this, but so you guys come up with a lender. Is that a lender that's going to be just for your sales force or will it be something? Have you thought about a lender that's also available to brokers? I think it's something that everyone thinks about when they build a lender, but I think in order for us to do that, I think we would have to be our own biggest fan first internally. Right. So and we've got our own. Yeah, I'm just curious because I know you do that in the US, agents. right? So how does that work in the US? Because you guys do your own lending, but then you also have like a wholesale division. And I think you kind of help build that out. So maybe just touch yeah. on, I'm not saying that this is coming in Canada or that it's guaranteed, you know, asterisks, we don't know, but like, what do you guys currently do down there? Because you do serve both markets. 
Yes. So our primary business in the US was always direct to consumer, call it retail. And you know, it started to get to the point where obviously, you know, you build up a certain market presence and gain certain market share. And then you start looking at additional ways to capture market share. And a way in which we saw we could go about it was actually tapping into the broker community and developing a lot of relationships. So that's when we got a little bit more serious and went deeper into the wholesale industry and built our broker channel out. And, you know, both businesses are very strong businesses today in the U.S. I think that our journey in Canada will be very similar in that, you know, if we can prove that our lender is truly a differentiated experience, it's better service, it's faster, and the pricing is ultra competitive. And our agents are excited to use our lender, not just because we have a lender, but, you know, one thing that was very important to us, just because we have our own lender, we still want our agents to choose our lender, not because it's Rockets lender, but because it's the best client experience. And ultimately, you know, their production relies on delivering a great client experience. So if Rocket as a lender is not delivering on that, we won't even capture the business from our own agent force. Mm -hmm. So, you know, being able to take that out to the rest of the broker community without having a differentiated and great product, I don't think is something that we would do until we're uber confident. So you got the, yeah, you got to get the product. Sometimes lenders come in and everything sounds wonderful, but they can't maintain the service and then it sucks. It's like, oh, we got this great product. And it's like, oh, wait, we'll get back to you in six weeks. It's like, what's the point? And you go yeah. back to First National. Well, there's a reason why they're worth that money because it's really hard to do. Right. You know, why aren't there more of that? And the reality is because like it takes a very long time to nail that. And the only way you can do that is if your cost to originate, if your cost to close a mortgage is in line or better than other people in the space and your product line is in line or better than other people in the space and then doing it over an extended period of time and staying in the game long enough through all these crazy market cycles that we see in the mortgage industry it's a difficult thing to do and you know if you're fortunate to wrap up you know 30 40 billion dollars in mortgages under management well then yeah people are going to put a high valuation on that yeah yeah it's awesome okay so any last questions i should have asked you this has been a fun conversation just getting you know, another input from somebody that you run a different type of company, you know, but any other questions or that I should have asked? You know, people do ask us a lot about intention. They ask us a lot, like, what does this mean? You know, being in Vancouver a couple of weeks ago, and then I, you know, I know there's another conference going on next week in Toronto and people do like when I say like, oh, I'm with Rocket, you know, people like, oh, what are you guys' intentions? Are you taking over? You know, are, are you doing this and that? And the reality is, I mean, yes, we're trying to build a great business, but what we're really trying to do is partner with the broker community and do something that ultimately helps clients and helps brokers. And I don't think we talk about that probably enough as much as we should and really put that message out there. When you consider that, you know, you've got Rocket and then you've got also Finmo as a sister company, one of the ways in which the entire broker community benefits off Rocket is that relationship direct to Finmo in that we are giving Finmo so much feedback as we are iterating on this client journey just over and over and over again, and then feeding that information over to Finmo, you're seeing constant improvements, right? Like, you know, talk about smart docs all the time. You know, we started looking at, you know, what are we going to need in order to make this client journey better? You know, smart docs was a big piece of that. More e-signing capabilities, more ability to plug some of our own compliance documents into Finmo so that the client can get their documents faster, e-sign in one place. Because what happens a lot of times, Scott, is you know clients are like, they're signing like six documents in DocuSign. They're signing some that were like sent to them through Finmo and they've got all these different places. They got some that they're yeah, putting yeah. out in paper form. 
So us being able it's to all feed friction. that information, it's just friction. Like all these little things, like it doesn't feel good being on the other side of it. It creates unnecessary additional client touches, unnecessary conversations. So when you think about Rocket, when other brokers think about Rocket, I really want the broker community to view us as a friend and really think about us as somebody who's going to you know, contribute to the overall industry and you know, how we go about doing that. I'm all ears. You know, I'm on here today in hopes that more people will reach out. I mean, I get hit up all the time of like, hey, what are you guys doing? You know, how can I help? Or should I be scared? I love how can I help? I hate should I be scared? But it does open the doors to additional conversations around yeah, yeah. how we can be better ultimately together and build a better broker community and help clients. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, hey, man, thanks for coming to chat with me. And I'll have to have you on again at some point and see how things are going with your progress and stuff. So always good to chat. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Scott. All right. Hopefully you found that conversation enlightening. You got some ideas from it. Again, really fun conversation. In this upcoming segment, I talked to Tom about creating moments of wow. Tom from Blue Mortgage. Hey, Tom, welcome back to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott. Great to be here. So, hey, let's talk about creating moments of wow, because I think that's something that, you know, well, in any markets, it's important, but in the current market, it's even more important that you actually create a wow experience for your clients. Otherwise, like, they're going to go somewhere else. Somebody else is going to take them. So what are your thoughts on that whole idea? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and you know, a lot of times on the show or wherever, I talk a lot about the client journey. And a lot of times it can be maybe a bit mundane or, hey, you know what, something happens in the mortgage, you want to update people. And of course, those types of things are hugely important. But, you know, thinking about the client's perspective, we say, hey, people don't remember basically stories and memories, right? That's how these human minds work. And so if you're able to build into that client journey, yes, essential, maybe more mundane things, but also a couple more wow factors throughout, it can really kind of set you apart and make you memorable. So now, two months from now, two years from now, you're still going to be getting those referrals. You're still going to be, you know, the first person they call when the renewal is coming up. So being strong in their memories, I think is really tied to having those types of wow moments. So can you give me an example of what you see brokers, you know, how they're doing this? I mean, I have a couple ideas, but let me yeah. yours first. Yeah, I think, I mean, some of the lowest hanging fruit, I think some stuff that people can start doing tomorrow. One is birthday cards, right? And I think we've talked about it on this show in the past. And I know for myself, I got two birthday cards this year for my birthday. One was from my mom and the other was from my real. And me. Oh, no, shoot. <laughs> uh, next year. Now. Next year, I'm expecting next three year. now. Right? Yeah, yeah, three yeah. birthday cards. Yeah, Scott, my mom and my realtor, right? But, you know, the realtor, and I honestly, I was just walking around, cleaning up my apartment. I found that card and it was from my realtor and we didn't throw it out, but there it was, there's their logo and there's their name. And, you know, it served as that memento and it was really nice. So I think that's a super simple one, a super kind of quick win. And I think that, especially as you think about comparing yourself to, you know, big banks and that sort of thing, that's a great one. Another really cool story is I talked to a guy in the States actually a couple of weeks ago and he said just about almost a hundred. I don't know what he said, but very close to 100% of his business comes from scratch cards. I said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, every single mortgage anniversary or birthday or something like that, send a card, I put a $2 scratch card into it. And he said, you wouldn't believe this the type of response. Did like the gamble? It's like, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, probably actually. I don't remember, but probably in Vegas. And uh, he's just saying, you wouldn't believe there was people are over the moon to get these scratch cards, these $2 things that... Yeah, two bucks doesn't mean too much to you, but leads to many, many, many referrals. And he just says it's the engine that moves his business along, which is just crazy. 
Right. There's actually two quick stories that tie into that. So the most successful car salesman of all time, can't remember the guy's name, but he's basically, if you type in the most successful car salesman ever, you'll find this guy. And he used to send cards to people all the time. And so most car salespeople sit there, wait for people to come in. Like, it's kind of like, yeah, right. they get a call list, but they're pretty much not proactive. This guy worked his database and nobody even came close to selling as many cars as him. And then the second is, is that most people think of things like, hey, I'm going to send them a you know, scratch and win at their birthday or at the anniversary. But I know like my buddy, Steve Diamond, who is a very successful business, he actually sends it after the first meeting. So after the first meeting, it's like, hey, great to meet you. Looking forward to helping you with your business. I got a good feeling about this one. You know, maybe it'll cover some of your down payment, you know, whatever. Da, da, da. Well, you just finished meeting with somebody. Maybe you've met with two or three other mortgage brokers or a bank and you're like, this person immediately elevates themselves. It costs two bucks plus a stamp. And because it's the unexpected, it's significantly more powerful than, and it took effort, unexpected, it took effort. It definitely will land a lot better. So it's not just at the end necessarily. You can bake that throughout your process. So that's a couple right. of my thoughts on that. So yeah, sorry, keep going. What other areas do you see that, you know, to create moments of wow? Yeah, I think the other kind of just an extension of that a little bit too is I think, you know, we live in this <laughs> this social media world a little bit too. And I think again, especially in this market, you know, that's something that you can take advantage of. I don't know if you're a fan or a listener or a follower of Gary Vee. I listen to some of his stuff, but he tells a story. He followed this guy and bought him a Chicago Bears jersey because he loves Chicago Bears and, you know, sent him this jersey and it led to all this business. And I'm butchering the story. But the point yeah. being is that, you know, having those clients as social connections, that sort of thing, you can do smart things, understand their interests and hit those accordingly, but also understand kind of those big life moments, right? You know, if one of your clients, you know, just had their first kid or something like that, hey, that's a nice thing to say. You know, first of all, congratulations. And hey, are you now thinking of upsizing or something like that? Right. So being part of those big moments, you know, really kind of puts you in that inner circle of trusted friends, trusted advisors. Right. Yeah, totally yeah. agree with that. I mean, and like there's this great book called Giftology, which is about giving specific books. And so this guy worked for Cutco, made a top sales guy with you know the knife thing. Now he has a company that actually helps create like custom gift plans for clients, for teams. Right. And yeah. the power of specific, because you know, you just had a baby, you send something about that, that's way more powerful. I may have told you this story before, but I once had a client who told me, sat down, they'd sold their house, they're looking at buying, and I qualified them. And they said, you know, we may buy this, or we may decide to take the family to Hawaii for a year and just like try that out. That's right. Cool. Be a nomad. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Like, let's go live in Hawaii. I think <laughs> it'd be a neat experience. So yeah, right, I sent right. her a book of things to do in Hawaii with your kids. Right. Awesome. Uh, that's yeah. not a mortgage thing. She calls yeah. me back and says, Scott, this is crazy. This is so awesome. They ended up going to Hawaii. I don't think they went a year. They went like eight months or something. Come back. They do a mortgage. I ended up doing like two or three more mortgages for their family Awesome. from a $20 book. It right. wasn't the book. And like a Starbucks card would never have been like, hey, here's a Starbucks card. Oh, nice to meet <laughs> yeah. you. It should have been like, yeah, yeah. thanks. It was because it, it was so specific yeah. because it was timely. Like you said about somebody having a baby or whatever. I didn't even have to ask for business. Like that alone just blew their minds. And so I think if you guys are paying attention and the other cool thing is you can put some of these notes, if you got a good CRM system, like you guys, Blue has, you can actually put that stuff right in there. Keep track of it. Absolutely. I actually have a terrible memory. Yeah. For me, the reason I've always had to have a CRM of some kind is because I jokingly say my brain is like an Etch-a-Sketch. I wake up in the morning, shake my head. <laughs> my wife's like, it's like if you first dates being married to me, you know, she's like every day, it's like, I'm your fam, I'm your I wife, you're your kids. And I'm like, what? How'd you get in my house? It's not quite that uh, bad, but like without <laughs> a good CRM, I would have been a catastrophe as a mortgage broker. And so I yeah. need to have 
the details matter, those little bullet points and then, totally. and then yeah. tie it into something that's custom. So that's awesome. So, okay. You know, any yeah. uh, last thoughts on this whole idea of creating moments of wow? No, not really. I think it's just, I think also just kind of putting, I think just to close it out is also try and find your unique spin, right? How can you find these moments of wow related back to your brand and how you like to communicate with your clients and that sort of thing. So I think it's important to, you know, meet the client where they are and the moments in their life, but also kind of define how, you know, you want to build that brand for yourself. Yeah. So just to kind of run it back a little bit, you know, memories are built on stories. I really believe that. And we've talked about, you know, I think it was moonwalking with Elvis or something like that, that I talked to you yeah. about, but memorizing, that's a tangent. Memorizing random cards. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All kinds of tangents. I yeah. swear we're talking about mortgage stuff, but yeah, yeah not Elvis. Yeah. But um, no, people remember things based on stories more than anything. So if you think about your clients and you want to create a memorable experience, it's about having those wow factors, those things that they can tell their stories, stories to their friends, their colleagues, whatever, and that's how they're going to remember them. So, you know, finding the easy things, you know, birthday cards, scratch tickets, cost you two bucks, can go a really long way, can float a whole business, thinking about my guy in the States. But then also understanding their client, understanding their big moments in their life and meeting them where they are, that's just going to take you that extra mile. So one last thought on this. So I remember Ryan Wiley told me a story about when he first got in the mortgage business, he would call all of his clients on their birthday and sing them happy birthday. <laughs> like literally he'd say, and so he called me this year on my birthday and he just starts singing and I'm just dying laughing. I'm like, this is so funny. So he would just sing and, you know, no offense, Ryan, you're not the best singer, but neither am I. It was kind of like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like who does that? Right. right? Like what did they cost you? Nothing, but like 60 seconds. Hilarious too, like, right? Yeah. And, and how many of those clients and, didn't even know who that was maybe, or maybe they did yeah, or whatever. Right. Like, but hey, it's just, yeah. Yeah. It's, hey, you know, you, um, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was pretty funny. Okay, so if you guys are yeah. listening to this, Tom's got a great product of design called Blue Mortgage, B-L-U with no E, mortgage.ca. You know, you can get that set up. You can do all kinds of cool customizations and keep track of things. If you have an Etch-a-Sketch brain like me, you can keep track of notes and points on your clients and stuff, right? I knew when I first got in the mortgage business, by the way, I knew I needed to have a system because I literally, I could talk to a client one day, come up with a great plan. They'd phone me the next day and I'd be like, who is this? And who I'd have you? to like pretend, <laughs> if I wasn't sitting in front of a computer, I'd have to pretend I knew who they were until they kept talking so I could remember. Oh, right. Like literally. So that short-term memory thing forced me to make sure I took notes right. or I would have been for sure <laughs> a catastrophe. So I love having a good tool like that. So check out bluemortgage.ca. Tom, thanks, man, for coming to chat with me. And guys, think about creating moments of wow. It'll make a big difference in your business. Thanks, Scott. All right. Thanks again for listening. Hopefully you guys got some nuggets out of that and got some insights. Once a month, we do a live show in our Facebook group. So go join our Facebook group if you want to be part of the live show. Maybe we'll create some kind of, I don't know, we'll do some giveaways or something on the live show. People show up just to make it more fun. I'll start thinking about that. But keep your eyes peeled for our live shows and you can join us when we do them. We let you know who the guests are going to be. And we always bring you in very interesting people to talk to. Check that out. And thanks again for checking out this show. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.